So right now we're going through the book of Jonah. We're on the last chapter here. And as we've been going through this book here, I couldn't help but think about a lot of my own life. Um, think about kind of where I came from because a lot of what I feel like Jonah went through and the things that Jonah did, I, I feel like I did as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I went to college in California. I'm from here. And I tried to run away from everything I knew from here. And I was like, when Jonah ran, I was like, yes, yes, I, I know that. I, I remember that feeling, you know. Um, and so I just couldn't help but think back onto all the things that um, had gone on in my life. And I couldn't help but think about uh, one of the biggest reasons why it was so hard for me to become a Christian. You see, one of the biggest reasons why it was so hard for me to become a Christian was because it just seemed like the Bible and the world didn't make sense together. That those two things just couldn't reconcile. Because I had grown up going to church. I had grown up um, listening to sermons, going to Sunday school. And the one thing that I kept on hearing again and again is that God was a God of love. That he was a God of compassion that he forgave, and he was a God of second chances, and that he healed those people, and that he gave. And yet, in my life, I was able to see 9-11 happen. I saw school shootings become more and more prevalent. I saw my relatives get cancer. I saw them die. And so I would look at the things that they say in the Bible, the characteristics of God, and I would see how the world would turn out, and I would say, how in the world is this a God of love? God, you say that you're compassionate, but for me, no, no, you're not compassionate enough. But something strange happened, and it's that once I became a Christian, I began to really go deeper into the Bible. And I began to really try to understand God's character more. And it got to the point where I, I was starting to feel almost the opposite, that God was too compassionate. You know, I remember when I first read the Old Testament, all I saw was this God of destruction and of hatred, right? And then I remember going to seminary and I took a, a class on Exodus. And what we ended up doing was reading uh, the book uh, reading the book of Exodus in the original Hebrew and then translating the sentences and going through them, right? And I remember translating the sentences and being so frustrated because we would translate the same sentence again and again. And it was that God would ask these people to change for their sake and these people were too stubborn to change. And it was again and again. And God would forgive them again and again. And give them chance after chance after chance. And I will get so frustrated because my hand would hurt after the same, doing the same thing again and again. I said, God, just kill them already. Just kill them. Like, well, how many chances are you giving them? And, you know, we don't even see this in the Bible. We see this all throughout society. We say, we look at this person. And we say, God, how often are you going to forgive them? They're in habitual sin. They're in sin again and again, and yet you still bless them again and again. You still give them all the resources they need. You give them everything that you Why do you continue to forgive them? 
God, you are too compassionate. You are too merciful. We go back and forth with this idea, this conception, with this characteristic of who God is. He is not compassionate enough or he is too compassionate. You know, for us, because of our culture, because of our place in our life, because of our life stage, our view of God keeps changing. You see, before he was this God of justice, this God of wrath, this God of anger. But now, as I have lived longer now, as I have gone to know him more, he has changed to a God who loves and forgives completely, even those who I don't think deserve it. And it seems like God has changed his character, and yet in Hebrews, it says that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So what is it? You see, what happens is not that God changes, is that we have the wrong definition of compassion. Commentators, they have talked about how this parable of the prodigal son, it parallels the story of Jonah. In fact, they say that when Jesus was talking and speaking about this parable, that he was thinking actually of the story of Jonah. You see, for those who may not remember, the parable of the prodigal son is about these two sons. The younger son rejects his father, disobeys his father, and goes off and spends all of his money on prostitutes and wild living. He lives in complete disobedience. And yet, on the other side, there's this older brother who seems like he's obeying the father but he also in the same breath rejects him because he does not understand how his father could forgive his brother. They have the same father, and yet their idea of who he is is completely different. You see, in the first two chapters, Jonah here, he plays both roles. In in the first two chapters, Jonah, he is the younger son. God asks him to do something, but in complete disobedience, he runs away and he tries to live his own life. And yet in the second half, he becomes the older brother. This time he goes and he seems like he obeys God. And he preaches But when the people repent, when they turn back to him, when God accepts them, he is furious. Why, God? Why would you have mercy on these people? And you see, both stories actually end on cliffhangers. In the prodigal son, the father says to the son, why don't you come in? Why don't you join us? Why don't you just lay down your pride? Why don't you understand my compassion and my grace? And in Jonah, God looks at Jonah, and Jonah is so furious. And God says, should I not have mercy on these people? Don't you understand my compassion? Don't you understand my grace? You see, both Jonah and the parable of the prodigal son, it talks about how it's so difficult for us to understand God's grace. 
for us, we have this distorted view of what compassion truly is. And the way that we live our life, because of the culture that we are in, because of the way that we have been treated, we think that God should be acting in a certain way. And when we read about compassion and when we experience compassion in our own lives and in the lives of others, we either get furious or we run away. You see, at the end of the book, Jonah doesn't understand that he's seeing compassion. And he's, he's so angry at God because for him, he is so consumed with his own heart. And so he becomes angry and distant with God. And so what I want to do today is really simple. It's just look at what the compassion and mercy of God really mean. What is biblical compassion? How does God really talk to these people? How does God really give his heart to these people in Nineveh? And secondly, how this story connects to Jesus Christ? And lastly, how this applies to us? Now, in this passage here, God brings this plant and it gives shade to Jonah. We don't know what kind of plant it is, but we do know a couple things, that it was fast growing and that it was big enough to give shade and comfort to Jonah during a very difficult time for him. But all of a sudden, it says in this passage, it dies. And Jonah is so upset, so God comes to him in verse 10 and says, look, you pitied this plant. Should I also not have pity over this great city? You see, this word that they use for pity it actually means to grieve. It's, it's another Hebrew word for grieve, to mourn, to cry. It means to mourn over someone who died. It means to have your heart completely wrung and completely broken. You see, what God is saying to Jonah is, look, you have become so attached to this plant that when it died, you died. Your heart became so attached that whatever happened to it felt like it happened to you. And then God, he says something so crazy, so amazing. He says, just like you grieve for this plant, I grieve for the people here. You see, why is this amazing? Psychologists, they, use, uh, they used to say that love was oftentimes confused with attachment. That uh, when, before, when you love someone, a lot of times you could get that confused because you're simply very lonely, that you want to depend on someone else, that in your life stage right now, that you just needed someone to be by your side, so the person next to you happened to come in and you kind of didn't realize what was happening, and so what you actually felt was attachment, but what you're saying is that you were in love. And you see, our culture has continued to press in on that, that we need to be independent, that being attached to people is wrong, that you need to be an island, that a man's man is someone who doesn't depend on other people. And yet what psychologists are saying now is that love and attachment aren't mutually exclusive, but intimately intertwined. That our need for attachment is our same need for love. 
And they're saying more and more that people today cannot survive without other people. And so dependency is just another form of love. And they talked about how even for children, you see, when there's no dependency, when there's no human touch, that they end up going in the wrong direction, that they end up going into abuse or whatever like that. That even if all the other basic needs are met for them, that they still end up not succeeding as well as maybe others do. And yet they say even for adults, it's the exact same. And that's why even one of the worst punishments that people can have is solitary confinement. And that when you are alone for too long, that thoughts of suicide, that thoughts of depression, that all of those things exponentially increase. You see, personally, anecdotally, when, when are the times that we cry the most? It's after a heartbreak. It's when our pet dies. It's when our loved ones get sick. You see, we cannot be content on our own. We need others. That's why we have compassion for one another. We invest in each other's lives. We love one another. And without us realizing, we attach our hearts to one another. Our love for one another is our attachment for one another. Now here's the thing. God doesn't need anything. And God doesn't need anyone. He made everything and everything is dependent on him. He is not dependent on anyone. God was self-sufficient before he made the world. He is self-sufficient now, and he will be self-sufficient in the future too. And so the question becomes, for us, if we were made to be dependent, and because of our dependency, we become attached to other people, why does it say that God has compassion on others? Why does it say that God grieves for the people of Nineveh? You see, if I was completely self-sufficient in a marriage, then it wouldn't really matter what my wife did. Regardless of how she acted, I would be stable because I'm completely self-sufficient on my own. Whether she betrayed me, whether she lied to me, whether she cheated on me, I would be fine. However, we see in the Bible that God becomes furious when people sin. Furious. We see him weep and mourn when they turn away. We see him rejoice and be happy when they run to him. So the question is, why? How did a self-sufficient God who needs nothing become attached to us? And the answer is simple, voluntarily. You see, for God, he attached his heart to ours, and he decided to be vulnerable with us even though he didn't need to. Why would he do this? It's because he saw where the people of Nineveh were going, and he decided to intervene. You see, he saw the condition of their hearts, 
And he went in and he decided, no, 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 you guys, I'm going to go in. I'm going to give myself to you. In verse 11, it says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? What that means is, he says, for the people there, they are so spiritually blind that they didn't realize where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't know where they're going in the future. And so he voluntarily gives his heart because he knows they are lost. See, for people who don't know God, life, it can be purposeless. For me, when I was not a Christian, I would search everywhere. I would wonder about the meaning of life. That's why I tried to go and research so many different types of religions and all these different things because that was my main question in life. People would ask about what the meaning of life is, what the point of working so hard is. And for them, they live in this spiritual fog. They don't know what their right hand is from their left. But you see, God is a God of compassion. And so he doesn't look at people and just give up on them. He doesn't look at people and just walk away. He voluntarily, he voluntarily attaches his heart to them and pursues them. I know that for many of you, you have family members who are not Christian. You have spouses or children or friends who are stubbornly opposed to God. And you have prayed, you have cried, you have wept and grieved over them. And when you've been praying for so long over these non-Christian friends, over these people who just do not turn towards the Lord, it becomes natural for you to think and begin to question the compassion and mercy of God. God, do you really care? Do you really want them? Have you given up on them? Church, look at the lengths God was willing to go through in order to save the city of Nineveh. He used the most reluctant prophet in order to save the most wicked city. How much more will God do for the person that you are praying for? Do not give up. And know that God has not forsaken those people in your life. You see, his heart, it goes out to them. He loves them more than you could ever imagine. And he is working in order to bring them to salvation. And so continue to pray. Continue to have hope. You see, in this story now, this is how the story of Jonah ends. <laughs> there's no resolution. There's no conclusion. And I think Jonah, honestly, for the most part, is still confused about how God can be a God of mercy and a God of justice. I think he still doesn't understand how the compassion of God can still be perfectly full of justice and perfectly full of compassion. 
And the reason why I don't think for him it would make complete sense is because the answer would come later. You see, the answer comes later in Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus came, he became attached to us. He was involved in the people's lives. He slept and he ate and he lived with them. And just like how God wept over Nineveh, you see, Jesus, he wept over his people in the last week of his life. And yet the reason why God was able to forgive us and show us compassion is because he, he sent out his justice and his punishment on the one person who was perfect. And you see, because Jesus voluntarily gave his heart to us, he was willing to take our place and die on the cross so that we could be saved. And so finally, how does God's compassion affect our lives? See, church, when we truly understand God's compassion, that's, that is when you're able to forgive quickly and completely. For many of us, we can do everything else. For many of us, we work so hard in every other direction. But for us, we are so unable to forgive others. And it's even because we think, even when it's 0.1% our fault, we, we say, no, no, like, they, they need to be the ones who forgive. They need to be the ones who, who ask for forgiveness. I can't be the one who goes. I can't be the one who says I'm sorry. I can't be the one who, who takes the first step and, and brings them back in. I, I can't do that. And yet, what we see in the Bible is that that's never the case for God. Does God hide and hold grudges? Does he wait for you to crawl on your knees back to him? No, he runs to you. He pursues you again and again and again. And he allows his heart to be broken. He mourns for you. But maybe you're asking then, well, they'll never learn. They'll never learn. If I continue to forgive them, they'll be in habitual sin again and again and again. I'm trying to teach them a lesson. You see, church, the priority is forgiveness and the teaching is secondary. Why? Because we have control in whether or not we forgive, but God is the one who will give us opportunities to teach. And so those moments that God gives us, it may be right in that moment. It could be. Or it could come way later, but that's not in our control. What's in your control is who you forgive and when you forgive. And we know that Jesus is the ultimate judge. And he can use you to lead them to repentance or he may use someone else. But the one thing that's in control, the only thing that you can truly do is to forgive first. And lastly, the last thing we learn is that God will take certain things in our lives because he is compassionate. He will take away certain things in our lives because he is merciful. You see, God wasn't just grieving over the city. He was grieving over Jonah. 
He saw that Jonah's heart didn't care for the people, and so God, he takes away the one comfort that he had, the one thing that Jonah cared about, that plant. Why does God do that? Because it forces Jonah to look at his own heart. Why are you so angry, Jonah? What's in your heart that makes you so angry? Why would you be so angry over this plant when there's 100,000 people over there? How disordered are your loves that you would care more for this plant that I have taken away than the people that I am consumed with, that I love? And so for you in your life, God will take away certain things. He will cause certain things to happen. And those things are only meant for you to understand where your love truly is. Is your love disordered? Is he secondary? Where is he in your life? Do you even know? Well, the one way that you can truly know is when those other things are taken away from you. But you have to understand that those things are only meant for your good. Those things are meant for his glory. And the only way that your contentness will happen, the only way that you will truly be happy is under him. Because you can try everything else in this life and those things are fleeting, those things are temporary, and yet we will continue to run back to him. And yet God, he wants to take away those other middle steps. He wants to say, no, 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 I want to take all those things away. I want you to show you that I am the only thing that will make you truly happy. See, God, he doesn't create evil things, but he uses evil things for his good and for your good too. Our God is a God of compassion, and he loves you. And so church, my hope and my prayer is that you will be compassionate with the people around you that you will follow his example, that you will love one another, that you will cry together, that you will laugh together because we are meant to live in each other's lives. We were made for that. So give your heart. Give your heart. Let's pray.